Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, the show has changed, but the shame remains the same. (laughs) What are you, MacGruber? Deep Space Nine is a less loved show than Next Generation. It It did not penetrate the public consciousness like next generation right i feel like so when you tell people you're doing a deep space nine podcast i feel like it sounds way dorkier totally oh (laughs) god yeah to the degree that i'm telling people that i just do a star trek podcast and i leave it at that i think i mean i think within trek fandom deep space nine is the more beloved show but i don't think it ever had a crossover success the way tng did I feel like TNG people are my people. I feel like if you if you say that you're a DS9 person, then I, I feel like you're better than me. Yeah, yeah. We're just here in the cheap seats, the uh, the the TNG bleachers. You're you're in that Deep Space Nine skybox. Right. Yeah. Enjoy those mini corn dogs. <laughs> you ever sit in a suite for anything? No, never. I guess I just don't have enough. Like you know. Nobody is like, you know what Ben would like? Getting to go to a suite, you know? <laughs> that that no thought has never crossed anybody's a, mind. <laughs> no one looks at you and assumes sweet man. <laughs> yeah, no. That's sweet life, though. Pretty nice. I've been in a suite once, and I've been in the super great baseball seats behind home plate uh, another mm. time. I might prefer the super close to home plate seats to the sweet life. There's something about, like, you get your free food and bev in both places, and that's fun. But when you're sitting in a seat next to home plate, you get to to fill out an order sheet, Ben. And I'm here to tell you, when you fill out an order sheet that requests a hot dog bun filled with mini corn dogs, (laughs) and that hot dog bun comes filled with mini corn dogs... You realize you like, were trying to throw curveballs at the kitchen staff, is what you're saying? Yeah, but and they're like, just clocking them out of the park. That's what a rich person's life is like. It's just it's just the easiest batting practice of all time. It's corn dog wealthy, like the the power to do anything with mini corn dogs, <laughs> no matter how depraved. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard I heard that that uh, that that Moscow tape. Uh, has a lot of corn dog stuff in it. Oh, don't ruin corn dogs for me. <laughs> if you don't ben think w- Trump is mo- is is corn dog wealthy, you are wrong. <laughs> I just don't want them to be ruined by that guy of all people. Yeah, Ben, I'm drinking something different on the pod today. Oh, really? I am drinking a glass of sangria. Really? Do you like sangria? Really? Yeah. I'm drinking from the 1.5 liter bottle that you can get at Costco. Oh man, this, this Costco sangria is no joke, man. It you're is not really making good. your own. You're uh, you're buying the store bought sangria. I'm buying the store bought sangria with the screw top. Ben, guess how much a, a 1.5 liter bottle of Costco sangria is? Oh, I don't know, fifteen dollars. Six eighty nine. <laughs> Man, if only uh, if only winos were members. <laughs> no kidding, it's delicious. Sangria is a drink that I really enjoy, but I feel very cautious around because the most shameful I've ever acted while drunk was a sangria drunk. Oh boy, I've I've tented my fingers under my chin, Ben. My yeah. elbows are on the table. I am all ears. I don't remember a lot of the particulars of this. <laughs> Is this an apparently story, Ben? I 
uh, was drinking sangria at a friend's place in the East Village one time. We were like having having a backyard get together, and we had made a great big batch of sangria. And I don't really remember exactly what we were playing, but we were playing a drinking game where like losing would provoke the the group building consensus towards something you had to do as punishment <laughs> and i was like i was down to my shorts i was like i was like they were they were steering me toward getting nude and i like lost my nerve and like tearfully ran out of the party like grabbed my clothes and like ran down the street with with wad of clothes in my in my arms and oh, then no what left left a, <laughs> left a voicemail <laughs> For my friend who was hosting the party, like apologizing for my behavior while still super inebriated, while still uh, unclothed, while still unclothed, while still in in the in the great uh, in the great shame that I was feeling over uh, over all of this. So, yeah, it's like a, <laughs> it, it's a it's such a painful memory that sometimes I don't want to go back to it with uh, with drink. But uh, wow. if you like a nice sangria. Wow, I'm really sorry to hear that that, <laughs> that that hurt you so much. Point point to the part of the sangria bottle that hurt you, Ben. <laughs> I guess the opening. Wow. Uh, how old were you for this I was story? Probably like 22 or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the right time yeah. uh, for that sort of thing. I didn't really drink until it was legal for me to drink. So I was, I, I had none of high school to like get used to loosening up, you know? I am not this type of person, but I have a good friend of mine that I grew up with uh, for whom the move once becoming inebriated was just to take off his shirt. <laughs> like, like that level of comfort with his own body was just like the deal. And it sounds like uh, you had, you have very different feelings uh, w slash R slash T, your body and its relationship to alcohol. We've gone to we've gone to pools together, Adam. You <laughs> you know what my body looks like. I don't because uh, because you're wearing a t shirt and jeans in the pool. <laughs> you you say that it's all part of your deal to shrink your your five oh ones, but. I mean, this has happened so many times. I'm beginning to doubt that you have 30 pairs of 501 jeans. Well, this was a, a very uh, horrible episode from my past that I don't relish reliving, Adam. But uh, the episode we came here to talk about today is also about a horrible episode from the past. Should we get into the episode? Nice pivot, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> let's do. It's uh, Deep Space Nine Season 1, Episode 7. Dax, or as I like to call it, the measure of an ankylosaur. <laughs> <laughs> the this episode starts with Julian Bashir and uh, Jadzia Dax. Um, I think Bashir is on a date and Dax is a, a at a working lunch. <laughs> and they're both at the Rainforest Cafe. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, he's like, he's like, you know, like, how about another, how about another cup of coffee? And she's like, oh, sorry, it'll keep me up. And he's like, I've got ideas about the ways to keep you up. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Dog, you are in a work environment. That is, that for sure rises to the level of an HR complaint. <laughs> how many HR complaints do you think... Uh, Dax has filed in her hundreds of years of life. It's probably like she's probably like no stranger to it in yeah. in both in in every form she's taken. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's been she's filed them and she's also had them filed against her. <laughs> ben, I think even before this scene, we get a commander's log saying that O'Brien has taken Keiko back to Earth for her mom's a hundredth birthday. Mm hmm. Thus giving us the reason for, for his absence from the episode. Ben, I was aching for this to be the B story. How much, <laughs> how much would you like to cut back and forth from the station to Earth and O'Brien in like the, the, the Keiko family living room? Yeah. Like, 
absorbing birthday festivities. <laughs> Just like checking his watch. Well, like getting self-defense drunk, like at the birthday party. <laughs> Miles, haven't you had enough punch? <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> oh, man. O'Brien's absence doesn't really wind up being much of a factor in this episode, does it? No, no. I feel like I wonder if it was that Colomini had something better to do or if it was like, eh, there's not really a great way to write him into this one so let's just uh let's just uh, get him out of here Colomini didn't tell anyone but he's uh, at an audition for another show <laughs> well they're having this hang Dax is like totally disconnected from the moment is uh you know doing iPad reading or whatever and uh lurking in the shadows are some some temple loafed men who are uh identifying Dax as Dax. Dax. And they tail her, and uh, they really, like, look like they're up to no good from from head to toe. You know, they've got the hoods, but they also have, like, like metallic gloves and stuff. Like, they look pretty nasty. And Dax is off by herself. Like, Julian has proposed that they go back to her room and fuck. That's not necessary, Julian. Oh. Well, good night, then. And, like, when the second she leaves, he's like, maybe isn't no. <laughs> like, uh, he does that, like, that awful math that too many dudes do, which is like, she didn't specifically say no. Finally elevating Bashir up to the level of ultra skin crawly. Yeah, right. Uh, so he's, he's following her back to her place and catches her Ducks! getting abducted in the hallway uh, by by these creeps with the temple loaf and instead of calling security he just like rushes into the fray uh, pretty quickly gets his ass whooped and uh, the temple loaf guys take off Jadzia's com badge and uh, move on they they uh, drag her out of there Bashir is the form of chaotic patriarchal in that <laughs> he won't take no for an answer about walking Dax home from coffee, but he also can't bring himself to hit a woman uh, during this fight scene. Women are precious, Adam. Like he pulls his punch, and that's why he gets his ass kicked. Yeah, he he is has completed his uh, his character reveal as a total fucking creep. <laughs> um. So that's our that's our throw to theme and when we come back he is like he's like coming out of a daze slumped on the floor of the hallway and he radios up to ops that uh Jadzia has been attacked and that uh he needs he needs help and they identify her location as being right next to him and he's like no they took her con badge off nice try guys and so uh, they they like lock down the station they're they're, you know, closing doors, shutting down pylons, sealing off levels four through 12. Why not levels all? Uh, who knows? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they're, and then they're, they're doing like, a hard target search through yeah, every, uh, every outhouse, Kardashian chicken house, house hen house. <laughs> right. And the people that are abducting Dax, like, know where to go to avoid being on security cameras. They know, like, where there's the security camera that do that does that swish pan back and forth like they know at what point to walk down the hallway and mm -hmm. cut the corner so that they they don't show up they do that thing when you leave your garage where you step over the invisible electric <laughs> eye beam <laughs> exactly <laughs> ben i was thinking like is there a limit to how long and thin odo could could make himself like could he turn himself into a string of christmas lights that went all the way around the station and down every hallway thus making him like a security system that covered every square foot if he can get as small as a rat what is the upper limit to how big he could get that's what i'm saying i i want to know more about him is my point <laughs> i have yeah. so many questions very uh, very interesting thing you have proposed. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody bring that up. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, 
course you don't. They've like figured out where, like, which ship they're going to because they've narrowed it down to like there's a handful of ships that are faster than runabouts, so they would uh, they would know that we wouldn't be able to chase them, and they're going for this one particular one. They put up force fields. The guys have a way to dismantle the force fields. They get out of there. The tractor beam has been knocked out of commission. And Cisco manages to flush whatever's gumming up the works out just in time to grab their ship before it warps out of the system. It's a real close call because the entire time this this hooded sweatshirt crew has been one step ahead of the crew throughout. Like, yep. how did they not realize that their tractor beam didn't work until now? You are fully torqued, bro. I guess this is where Chief O'Brien's absence kind of plays in in an interesting way. Is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. The the like fact that the station is always kind of breaking down is uh, right. an especially uh, pressing issue right now. You got to believe O'Brien would use any excuse not to go back to Earth for this. <laughs> <laughs> for this mother-in-law 100th birthday. Like, the survival of everyone on the station would be a good reason, but I guess not. I can just picture him suggesting to Keiko, like, you know, a little time away from each other. We've been in each other's hair since we moved in here, you know? I certainly it's, have gone through that with uh, with my move to L.A., you know? We stayed in some Airbnbs where there was just no no space, like in the car all day going and looking at different apartments. It gets, it gets a little frictive, you know? I've, I've said it a million times. You want to miss the person you're with. That's healthy. Yeah. Not that O'Brien would actually miss her. <laughs> TBH. He'd be down at Cork's getting hammered whole goddamn time. Yeah. Well, they get uh, they get these guys back aboard. They just come out of the airlock and, you know, Odo and, Mr. and the security detailer there with their phasers. And these guys come out. Jadzia looks a little, like, dazed, almost almost drugged in a way. Yeah, it's weird. Never really addressed. No. This I dude don't is... recall her getting, like, roughed up to the point where she was knocked out, right? In the in the melee. No, I mean, she definitely looked dazed when they were, like, dragging her around, though. If anyone should be dazed, it's Bashir, who just got his fucking ass kicked in that hallway. Yeah. Well... He's uh, he doesn't have a lot to contribute to the to the storyline after this, so <laughs> he's probably just on on bed rest. Yeah. Um, we meet the like the main guy of the abductors it introduces himself to Cisco as Elon Tandro, and he is from a planet that the Federation has an extradition treaty with, and he. Is like, hey, listen, I was just doing what our treaty says I can do, which is unilaterally extradite anybody I want if uh, if they've been accused of a crime on my planet. <laughs> the fuck kind of treaty allows for this? That's a terrible treaty. <laughs> Who wrote that? Reva, we need you. We need you! There are lots and lots of countries that don't extradite prisoners from uh, to the US if they're accused of crimes that could have uh, capital punishment applied to them because most of the rest of the world does not have capital punishment who wrote that treaty henry kissinger <laughs> the federation is like yeah we'll extradite a an enlisted serving officer like a commissioned serving officer to a uh, a planet that is going to kill her if she's found guilty no problem Wow. It really, I mean, if the ship had escaped, how different of the story would we have gotten? Like, diplomatically, it would have been a whole lot more charged up, I think. Yeah, this would have been that, like, episode where the Singapore government wanted to cane that guy. Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like, the, the... the the episode we would have gotten would have been like Spy Game, where you know the Federation doesn't want to have a diplomatic incident with Klystron Four, but Cisco you know calls in favors and and gets a gets a couple of Black Hawk helicopters with special ops guys to descend on the prison and extract Dax under the cover of night. You know. Operation Pinarock is a goal confirmed. Correct. 
dinner hours ago. Kleistron four sounds like sounds like a caustic, like <laughs> Tobin tile cleaner that right. that, yeah. that when you buy from the guy at Home Depot, he's like, "Look, man, you really you really got to wear a mask when you use this. Yeah. The fumes Matt- are." Pretty intense. Mask and gloves, or uh, you're gonna have a bad time. So Cisco is like, well, like we're gonna we're gonna look into this, and we're sending a message to your planet to like confirm whether your warrant is real. And uh, he sits down with Odo and is like, man, this sucks. They, they were just trying to abduct her. And Odo's like, yeah, well, if she if she did the murder that they're accusing her of, then she should burn. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? This happened 30 years ago. This wasn't Jadzia Dax. It was Curzon Dax. So this is a story about whether or not the Ankylosaur is able to be punished for crimes no matter what container it inhabits, which right. is a fairly fascinating question. Yeah. It would be insane for this to be the first time that question was uh, was encountered in this universe. Like Exactly. And they and like they, there are lots of trill around. Even the king of the trio need itself a queen. They pay a little lip service to the idea that they're gonna look into legal precedent W slash R slash T Ankylosaur continuity. Uh, but it's never really paid off. So they gotta bring in an arbiter to uh, to mediate this argument between uh, the Federation well, as represented by Cisco. And this Elon Tandro, right? Well, let's explain why. Like, and this is like, I think my favorite part of the episode is that they find a legal loophole, which is that Deep Space Nine is not technically a Federation jurisdiction. It's a Bajoran jurisdiction, and they have no extradition treaty with Kleistron. Kleistron. So, like, the reason Tandro was doing all this cloak and dagger shit it was was more because he was worried that the issue of the fact that they're extracting her from a Bajoran jurisdiction was actually going to get in his way. Which is fucked up because, like, what he did is illegal, and yet they 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 don't seem to consider that a punishable offense. Right. Like, it, it's like those guys that beamed onto the promenade and started shooting a couple of episodes ago, and they're like, well, that's just your culture, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can't judge. They are super permissive here. It's a very a very groovy station that Cisco is running. <laughs> so this yeah, they bring on uh, this this uh, mediator lady. I am one hundred years old. I do not have time to squander listening to superfluous language. Who is uh, a Bajoran, some kind of Bajoran legal authority? Though you could confuse her for Klingon based on the kind of gavel she brings with her. You could also confuse her with Rashawn Uxbridge, yeah. <laughs> which... Well, we thought that it might make us fall in love all over again. It worked. This uh, the story becomes far more interesting if you consider that it may in fact be her and she's been on the run from Kevin the whole time. Like, maybe she didn't... Uh... Now, everyone knows that Rashawn Uxbridge died on the bridge of the Enterprise D, but what my theory presupposes is... Maybe she's just hiding from Kevin Uxbridge? <laughs> Benjamin Shishko. <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have you know that there's someone else who does not recognize extradition treaties on board Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and it is the doubt. <laughs> A colleague of mine from the Q Continuum was recently <laughs> aboard your station and... <laughs> Clued me into the situation there. I was under the impression that the Hoosnack had taken the life of my wife, and that Captain Picard had taken the life of my real doll replacement of her. In point of fact, she has been living incognito among the Bajorans. You could see how this would be very sexually confusing for me. As as before this time, I did not know I could be so attracted to Bajorans. <laughs> yet, 
Yet here I am. Now I'm in the little newish riches. Now I'm in the bizarre catch twenty two of strongly considering killing all Bajorans everywhere, but also being totally erratically charged up by a Bajoran nose bridge. I've I've turned the open shine around to closed on my real doll shop. I've I've packed a bindle. <laughs> and I'm on my way to your station, Francisco. <laughs> I plan on having this reserved shortly. Tell the Bajorans the spiritual people they are to get ready to have a god in their presence. <laughs> a god who is DTF. <laughs> really nice to see uh to see Anne Haney back again. She's a uh, She's got just a great carriage about her. I really yeah. like her. I mean, in this, as this character, as Elsa Nora, she's a total hard ass yeah. who really does not have any patience for any guff. Totally, and is there to like to hear out the like claims that Cisco and Elon are making and make like a totally dispassionate call about about what to do here? Like, she is. She like the the sort of Damocles is fully hanging over Dax, which is uh, why it is so disconcerting for for Cisco that Dax like doesn't seem to give a shit. This was just as frustrating to me because you know on and on Cisco is like. When did the- Jedzia Dax get replaced with floor mat Dax? <laughs> They're really going to have a hard time cramming that ankylosaur uh, <laughs> into a floor mat format. <laughs> Cisco's like, come on. Like, it's, it's fucking crazy to me that you're hundreds of years old and you have no self-preservation instinct in the face of a capital crime. And, and it's also, just like, frustrating to me, too. Like, there is no reason given why... I mean, there's a flimsy reason given why she doesn't want to talk about the circumstances that have put her here. But there is no reason given as to why she does not seem willing to defend herself at all. Like, there, there is a defense. And if you don't want to go with the defense that's embarrassing, you can still defend yourself. Yeah, when Cisco is working through what their defense strategy is going to be here. He, he gives Kira the job of looking into legal precedent for trills, which is like, you have a trill on your station that has, has like been a diplomat and, and been in the mix for a long time. Like, go ask her. They bring in this trill expert witness, DJ Qualls. And, uh, like, like the whole reason they bring him in is because uh because Dax won't defend herself in any way. Mm-hmm. The only person more irritated about the circumstance than Cisco is Kira. Mm-hmm. And I keep coming back to this question Ben, which is how do you direct Nana Visitor? Because I feel <laughs> like over and over again, it just must be uh, telling her, all right, that's great. Let's do another take, but this time give me a little less irritation. <laughs> she is just utterly irritated. Her resting state is irritation. Yeah. And it's what I love about her, but like, good Lord, she is like, she's taking a blowtorch to everyone and everything around her just at all times. Like the funnest scene for sure in the episode is when the guy tries to like duck out of having a conversation with her by saying I'm talking to your commander and Cisco goes oh, yeah. no you're talking to my first officer right now buddy like he totally like he totally like is unhooking the leash from her from her choke collar in that moment like <laughs> Sick all I want, girl <laughs> all I want in my life is a is a Kira to Uh, do all my negotiating for me like I want her to buy my car I want her to do all my business dealings I want her to to negotiate on my behalf because she is a monster in that way in a way that I really love and in a way that I am not I would pay her 450 an hour for that fucking A (laughs) Golda Cotton the cut Golda Cotton so 
Odo gets sent to Kleistron 4, and initially he's just reporting back from planet computer panel. Like, we don't <laughs> see see the planet at all for a long time, and it's him saying, like, you know, like, this this general that uh, Dax stands accused of having murdered is a kind of legendary dude around here. When he got killed, his army went so ape that they wound up winning the war. And so he's kind of like a he's like a, a hero of the state. There are statues of him all over the place. And uh, is only survived by his wife. And, uh, and her son is the guy that's there trying to kill Dax. So, uh, so Cisco puts him on uh, going and meeting up with uh, the general's wife. And yeah, she turns and out to be portrayed by another uh, another lady from TNG history, Vianula Flanagan. That's right. Bringing back the heavy hitters. Seriously, this is uh, this is Data's mom, right? It's true. Yeah. Uh, unclear as to whether or not uh, she is a robot person <laughs> in this in this universe. But there's like two parallel, really interesting questions at play. There's the whole like the trial being about the difference between the memory of a thing and the complicity in that thing, and that's right. interesting to me. But there's also like the the thing with the widow, and that like, and she's sort of a Jackie Kennedy figure, right? Like, what happens when an imperfect person gets lionized? You know, and, and what's the consequence to the person who's left behind? Like, yeah. this is pretty heady stuff. Like, really, really interesting questions. Like, on the heels of a word salad episode, you know? Like, <laughs> at this point in the story, I was like, where did this come from? This is very sophisticated. Yeah, it's, um, and it's also interesting in, like, a future context, because, like, uh, like the way Dax is behaving winds up getting explained to me, like, the like symbiont Dax trying to preserve the honor of Anina Tandro, like on the idea that her having been, uh, her having had infidelities with her husband, uh, would be so, so shameful to her and so damaging to, to like their culture's sense of history that she won't do it. You know, like Dax, Dax refuses to defend herself basically to protect this woman. But it just seems so unnecessary. Like, like my the point I was trying to make earlier that that I that I probably made inarticulately was that like there is still a defense even without that. Like you can choose not to make that a part of your evidence while still making the attempt. Right, and like the the defense that Cisco is is pursuing doesn't hinge on the facts of the case ever coming out. Right. It, it's it's entirely based on whether a like on whether Jadzia Dax is considered a distinct person from Curzon Dax or not. And right. And I want to know what Jadzia Dax's opinion is on that. Like yeah. that would be really interesting to me. It seems like kind of both. You know, like based on what the other trill says, it's like yeah, like from some perspectives you could call it a distinct person, and others you couldn't. And like, that's that guy's opinion, but, like, who cares about that guy? We don't know who that guy is. There's a lot of muddying of the ankyo, ankyo, <laughs> ankylosaur waters here. I, I believe it's pronounced brontosaurus. <laughs> In that, you know, like, a number of different witnesses, you know, like, DJ Qualls makes the claim that, you know, once the symbiotic relationship is established, uh, it is a mutual personality merging between ankylosaur and host and yet dr bashir makes the case that you know there are two separate brainwave patterns going on so there's like on the one hand there is proof that they are they are totally commingled beings and on the other hand there's scientific proof that, that they're separate and so one could make the case either way at this point in the trial that either there is a inherent responsibility that a current ankylosaur would be responsible <laughs> for the past containers actions and uh, also the exact opposite they talk a lot about in this hearing the fact that it is not a trial like they're not attempting to establish guilt or not it seems like 
everybody treats it as a foregone conclusion that guilt would be established if Dax gets extradited. Right. That seems weird, right? Do they have like that little faith in the Klystron justice system? Yeah, uh, not a great reputation over there. Like they've got the death penalty and also play fast and loose with the uh with the facts when uh, when sentencing somebody. What does that remind me of? Hmm. Sounds like a real kangaroo court over there. <laughs> real drumhead situation. Yeah. He just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. hypnotic, hypnotic. The reveal when uh, when they find out that uh, that Curzon was banging Anina is like like really changes the changes the game and like she winds up deciding to go with Odo to Deep Space Nine to like make a make a very dramatic last minute entry into the courtroom to to say like enough is enough this is all a charade and the reason that Curzon couldn't have sent the transmission that caused my husband to get killed is because I had I was like holding on to his penis at the moment that he would have had to <laughs> had to do it. Mother, what are you talking about? So she proves the innocence of Curzon with her quote unquote embarrassing admission. Which makes it but, even more weird. Like they, they have an alibi for everybody else who could have sent the transmission. Right. So so it's still total speculation as to who the actual murderer was. Right. So that part is unresolved. But the other part that is so deeply unsatisfying about the end of this episode is that the question of Dax's guilt, uh, you know, had, had Curzon been guilty of such a thing, like the overarching question of guilt, W slash R slash T, like containers and ankylosaurs mm-hmm. is totally unresolved. And that is worth resolving. I totally agree. I think they do some really good world building about what, like, the mechanics of being a joined trill are. And it's interesting to learn that, like, lots of trill aren't joined and that it's like a, it's like something that you have to compete to get and it's a big honor. Yeah. That stuff is all super interesting. But yeah, like, the, like, Measure of a Man resolves with, like, we, we all, like, walk away from that episode feeling pretty confident that we've seen a compelling argument in favor of an artificial life form being a full person with all the rights and responsibilities that that confers. And in this episode, I don't think that they had the nerve to kind of answer their own questions. That is what makes Measure of a Man such a great episode and why why this is so unsatisfying at its conclusion here. Like, I'm totally with you on that. To put you on the spot, Ben, um, do you think that the crimes of a previous Trill are on the current Trill's container, if you had to decide, given the evidence uh, of of this episode? I would say no. And I think partly that's because I'm kind of naturally predisposed to think that that like punishment is not necessarily a great way to deal with crime. <laughs> like... I don't think that like the majority of crime would be is is being like effectively deterred by the idea of punishment. Like the reason I don't go around breaking into cars is not really that I would get thrown in jail if I did. It's that if uh, it's that like I respect other people's shit, <laughs> you know. And and I think that like most of the time when people are committing crimes, it is because they are either desperate or mentally ill or a combination of the two or are, you know, just unable to sympathize with others. And so like, I mean, I like, like I think the reason that I don't side with, with Elon's way of thinking in this is the same reason that I don't like, I, that I think that like the justice system in the United States is badly broken. It's like, I don't, I don't, I think there are like, if, if, if somebody commits a crime, like even if the symbiont is 
like disproportionately responsible for the actions of the of the joint trill i I still don't think extradition should be honored do you would you be for a form of like statute of body limitations (laughs) like because like well yeah but he makes he makes a great point there like it's like it's like running for the mexican border and the second the symbiont is in a different body it's out of the jurisdiction or whatever yeah like it's a fascinating question to consider that you know on the one hand if Curzon had done the murder or had done something awful like try to try to consider a crime more awful than murder like multi murder <laughs> <laughs> like what if what if uh, what if Dax were truly evil like and and Dax was put into a truly innocent container how do you how do you punish the container for that it's an like and that is that's something that i wish this episode had the guts to ask and answer it's like so much more interesting of a premise than the like trashy 80s horror premise of like heart transplant of a murderer and then that sure. that person is like Got the got the evil spirit within them or whatever. We don't know or care who Ardalan Tandro is. Like, make him murdered in a grisly way. Make it awful. Right. Like, we don't we don't care about him. Like Tell give, us the specifics of it. Do we think give, Dax is capable of that? And that's another question that they raise and don't really answer. Like the like Cisco is trying to tell Odo, like, that's not who Dax is or who Curzon Dax was. And Odo's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, let's find out what the facts are. Right. And that's where I'm at, too. But I just wish I wish the crime was amplified. I wish the crime was true because it would make the outcome matter in a way that it doesn't here. It's just sound and fury signifying nothing. Dang. So, so so did you like this episode? <laughs> in spite of its many many flaws, I still like the attempt. I like that we've we've had a couple of slapsticky non-toothy stories in in the first half of season 1, and this feels like the first attempt to go hard trek. Yeah. And that feels good. And so I I admire the attempt. It does not mean that I was satisfied by its conclusion. So I I don't know, like maybe after the entire first season is over with, my answer would be different, but I think I think I'm more on the side of liking the episode than disliking the episode in spite of its many flaws. Kind of wish you? that arbiter had sent somebody to jail with that Rurupente brand gavel. I kind of wish the arbiter had called a, another expert witness. <laughs> Someone who knows everything (laughs) Everywhere Your honor I would like to make a deposition Your honor I Will look past how distracted I am By your nose I see the way you handle that giant ball It gives me all kinds of ideas You know this body Is just a shell that I made for myself And it could really Take on any form I could increase the size of my balls However large you want. Is that what you want? Is that why you left me? Look at me, Rashan. I too have a nose bridge now. <laughs> it's just that easy for me. I had no idea I was only a nose bridge away from your heart. What I'm trying to say, baby, is that I can change. <laughs> ben, do we have any priority one messages? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Ellen. It is for Tommy. The time that this message was preferred was before the show ends. Oh no. I mean, if that means Deep Space Nine, we're good. Yeah, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that's not what they meant. But uh, I sure hope Tommy and Ellen are still listening. The message goes like this: Dear brother, happy birthday! It's a month early, 
but there are only three more episodes of this show, so it's now or never. Oh no, this is heartbreaking. Uh, it's very, very belated birthday at this point. Thanks for recommending TGG to me. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I wasn't going to watch Discovery, but maybe we can make it through with the help of the new pod. And if it's awful, we can hate watch it together. <laughs> Thanks, Tommy and Alan. Really sorry about the belation to this birthday message. Uh, we were we were very swamped at the it's end. It's all Resin Plavim's fault. Yeah, yeah. Uh, happy birthday, nonetheless. Hope you're still around, and you hear this message. Yeah. Uh, our next message is from Jane, and it is for Steve. Happy anniversary. It looks like this will air two months late, <laughs> but better late than never. I'm so glad that I'm engaged to marry you, and I can't wait to do so. Then my weird will be inextricably linked with your weird forevermore. You are the best, and I love you. Ben and Adam, can you mash up Harry Picard with the schismed drop? I suppose that would sort of sound like, You just got schismed! <laughs> that, <laughs> that is a... Those are two great tastes that don't taste very great together. Like, a, <laughs> like peanut butter and applesauce. Uh, congratulations, Steve and Jane, on your anniversary. That sounds like, uh, you guys sound like a great couple. Yeah, good match there. Good symbiotic match. Mm-hmm. If you have, uh, enjoyed these P1s and don't mind that they're so late, uh, you can go to <laughs> MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where, uh, personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks. It's a great way to support the production of this show and uh, get your message out there to lots and lots of fun, cool people. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I really had a hard time finding one in this episode. Um, maybe hearing yours will inspire me to make a decision. I know that's uh, that's a dodge. It's a dodge we've occasionally made at this I've part for of the sure show. done that to you several times. And, yeah, what do uh, you got? I'm gonna give it to the Trill Witness that they called. What did what did you say the guy's name was? I called him DJ Qualls, given his uh, uncanny appearance during given his uncanny uh, resemblance to DJ Qualls. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like I feel like this guy could clear everything up, but he just seems like he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to answer anybody's questions, and yet here he is. He's like a magician that doesn't want to break character and just, like, slinks around doing hand gestures and, like, <laughs> and, like speaking uh, mysteriously. Like, yeah, you're totally right. Like... This he could just be like, okay, well, like, listen, Trill is part of the Federation, and so if we're saying that this is a Federation matter, like, here is the legal precedent, and if not, like, here is why we arrived at that as the precedent. Like, he's a fucking lawmaker, right? He's like a he's like a, a member of parliament or something? If the Trill have been around for a thousand years, they had to have come up with this problem before. He's lived seven lifetimes in, with this symbiont and is like a deer in headlights at the at the prospect of this question. It's a, so insane. A smirk and a shrug is totally insufficient. Like, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> and he's their expert witness. Yeah. Their case is fucked. <laughs> uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? Yeah, I mean... I feel like I feel like it may be Dax in that she's so willing to just be the observer in her own life. Like she is talk about like sort of a meta existence. Like she's a thing inside another thing who has then stepped back from her life to sort of observe the trial happening around her. Like what a weird way to exist. And then like, 
I suppose the only moment, the only thing that makes Bashir less of a dark figure is if <laughs> Dax is totally in the driver's seat of that relationship. Like and she's is, egging him on the entire and time. Is, and is waiting to destroy him in the most like embarrassing public way. Like <laughs> that's the thing that I'm waiting for is like the the other shoe to drop on Bashir and and for Dax to just destroy him. Like yeah. that could be but that's also like this is me putting this is me projecting story onto people where that story doesn't necessarily exist in yeah. the episode. So fairly flimsy Shimoda on my part, but I think I think that's the best I can do in this case. Fairly serious, sober episode. Indeed. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season one, episode eight, The Passenger. A sinister alien criminal hides his consciousness in the brain of someone aboard the station. Man, talk about cheesy 80s horror concepts. Yeah, I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're really, like, given what the first eight episodes of this show have been and will be, like, I don't know that we could get a more disparate selection of storylines here. They're really all over the place. This one uh, feels like a weird one to butt up against the one we just watched, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Right. Do you want to find out if we will be drinking a lot while doing? <laughs> All right, why not? And our random number is six. That means we will not be getting shithouse drunk while watching the episode. Mm. Saved again. <laughs> Saved again by randomness. Well, one thing that saves us every time is uh, is the constructive, kind, and incredibly funny commiseration that happens at the end of every show on our many social media outlets. We've got uh, Facebook and Twitter, Reddit, uh, places all where our viewership gathers and talks about the mistakes we've made, the jokes we've made, <laughs> and about the source material that we're discussing. So I'd uh, highly encourage anyone who's interested in our show to uh, participate in those conversations. It is a great deal of fun. Uh, we should thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusea for a lot of the other music that you hear on the show. And uh, I would encourage anybody that's listening, if you like our show, to go to MaximumFun.org and check out all of the other great shows that they have on the network. Uh, there's a ton of great ones. And uh, if you are moved by this show to help support its production uh, you can go to maximumfund.org slash donate and uh, become a monthly supporter and it really really helps it's a it's a real game changer for us and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine and another episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which hides our own brains (laughs) cool MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.